Hello again everyone. Welcome to our next session which uh, we're looking at the subject uh, of generational inequity and curse. So let's launch right in here. It's a big subject and we want to take a bit of time to deal with it. What exactly is it? What is generational inequity or generational curse? Well, effectively put simply, this is the sins of the past generations that can affect us in the present. Um, So there's adverse effects that we are experiencing right now, but the causation of it uh, would be the sins of uh, past generations. The Hebrew word that kind of bears this out is the word iniquity. And it carries the sense of a a moral perverseness. It's the opposite of righteousness, which actually has the connotation of straightness. So if you see this illustration, righteousness is like a straight line, but iniquity is a bent line. It's speaking of a predisposition towards certain behaviours, certain sins. And so when we talk about iniquity as opposed to righteousness, it is a proneness, a tendency, uh, a moral inclination, and it can even have supernatural connotations and effects as well. And so generational inequity and curse can be passed down through families because of certain sins that ancestors have engaged in. Now, this is a controversial subject and uh, it has been taken to extremes and abused like many things are within the church. However, I believe that there is sufficient biblical data to lead us to the conclusion that this actually is a matter and a very serious one for anyone who's affected by it. Let's answer a few questions. What is the third and fourth generation that's often spoken of when we refer to generational iniquity and curse? Well, some people take this literally. And uh, looking at our family tree, which we all possess, uh, they count back four generations, and that gives us four levels of ancestors. So you've got two parents, four grandparents, eight great-grandparents, 16 great-great-grandparents, and that, that gives us a total of 30 ancestors, any of whom could be a source of negative influence upon us. So that's the way some people interpret it, literally. And then other people actually take it to the extent that they believe that though that's four generations, um, it's not necessarily the case that the effect of that iniquity and curse stops after the fourth generation. In fact, if we ourselves or indeed any other person in that family line engage in the family sin again or, 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 or the, uh, the, the curse again, the whole cycle will begin over to further four generations. I'll leave that one for you to work out what you think about it. There's other people who feel that the third and the fourth generation is simply a metaphor that uh, speaks of a perpetual effect upon the family line until the curse is broken at some stage. Um, I suppose it doesn't really matter where you come down on that one, uh, save to say that it appears to be an issue that there can be a perpetual effect and consequence of sin and curse that has been engaged in by previous uh, generations. I want to say this first of all, because this is what often confuses people. What was the intention of generational inheritance? Why is it programmed into humankind? Well, it's a bit like the soul tie that we spent a whole session looking at. The soul tie, its original intent designed by God, was for blessing. 
so that there will be blessing in the husband-wife relationship, the sexual relationship, and in various family ties. It was meant to be a channel of repeated and indeed increased blessings throughout the generations. Um, whilst the curse after the fall to the third and the fourth generation is limited in that terminology to the third and fourth generation. However, the blessing, even after the curse, is spoken to be uh, mercy to the thousands of generations. And so we see that borne out in Exodus chapter 20, verse 6. God shows mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Also Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and mercy for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments. And this is important, that we see the heart of God in the midst of what the subject matter we're looking at here today. You need to see the proportionality of blessing to cursing in God's heart. God never intended there to be generational cursing in our lives per se, but that was a consequence of the fall. But his great heart is to bless us over abundantly with his blessings rather than experience curse. But a curse is a consequence of our disobedience to God. I want you to see something else. If you follow the points in your notes, you'll see that the next one is uh, God's revelation of himself. There's something about a revelation of God's heart that we see in the blessings to the thousandth generation, but also in his justice and his nature of holiness. Um, uh, the second commandment, of course, shows us this prohibiting idol worship. And in Exodus 20, we've read a part of it already, but verse 5 and 6 says, You shall not bow down to them, idols, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. And I want you to note here, please, that idolatry and false religious practices particularly invoke this visitation on the family line. Um, it's important to see that whenever certain family trees have engaged in idolatry, there can be gravest consequences to further generations. Um, so when this commandment again was reissued um, in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, um, it shows that this is a characteristic of the name of the Lord. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 read, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed to Moses, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now, often an objection to this idea of generational iniquity and curse is this is an old covenant concept. It doesn't apply anymore in this New Testament era. The problem with that is, as you read the context of Exodus 34 in particular, this is a revelation of the character of God through his actual name. Is he still the other things described in Exodus 34, 6 and 7? Look at it. God is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and sins by no means clearing the guilty. 
And that is what God is like even today. So I'm not sure that you can just scrub out this idea that he, he still allows iniquity, the consequences of iniquity to be visited uh, on, on the third and the fourth generation. I don't think you can do that with Scripture. And of course, Malachi 3 verse 6 tells us that uh, I am the Lord, I do not change. And um, therefore, we need to come to terms with this Sometimes we embrace the appealing areas of God's nature that we like and yet we reject what is uncomfortable to us. And I want you to understand God is a God of love and we know his grace and as we'll see later on in this session the redemption of Christ has set us free from every curse, from every iniquity and sin. But we've got to realise that there are consequences of our behaviours and even our ancestors' behaviours that can affect us, that we need to apply the victory of Calvary to. And we see also this idea born out in primitive dysfunctional families in the Bible. And this shows us that this idea, um, generation of iniquity and curse, is not reserved to the Mosaic law, but actually we can observe it in families before the law was given. I'm thinking in particular Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. In the book of Genesis, which of course is the book of origins, um, we see the adverse behavioural patterns in families. Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. We see cycles of deceit, lying, manipulation and favouritism repeated in each era. And I'll leave you um, to look at that in your own time. And so the question often hangs around these inheritance issues. Is it nature or is it nurture? Is it something we're born into or is it something that's a learned behaviour or do we inherit it? And, and no doubt we learn certain behaviours uh, from examples that are set before us. But there's also no doubt as we look at scripture and indeed observe life that an element of heredity exists. We have expressions like father, like son or that child is a chip off the old block. And we can see that this exists in the physical, even in personality traits that people have, natural tendencies, abilities, um, intelligence levels, and even certain diseases and uh, frailties and ailments. And yet we so often exclude the possibility that there can be any spiritual heredity in our family lineage. So I just want you to consider that. The prophets and uh, uh, the Old Testament prophets in particular bear out uh, this truth when they talk about the sins of the fathers. Let me give you a number of scriptures uh, for that. Nehemiah 1.6 Please let your ear be attentive and your eyes open that you may hear the prayer of your servant which I pray before you now day and night. For the children of Israel your servants and confess the sins of the children of Israel which we have sinned against you both my father's house and I have sinned. He's confessing the sins of his fathers there uh, as well as his own personal sins. Ezra 9 and verse 7, since the days of our fathers to this day, we've been very guilty and for our iniquities, we, our kings and our priests, have been delivered into the hand of the kings of the lands to the sword, to captivity, to plunder and to humiliation as it is this day. Not just for our sins, but the sins of our kings and our priests. As Psalm 106 verse 6, we have sinned with our fathers, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly. So there we see this concept 
of confessing for ancestor sins. But there are some problem passages that are often used uh, um, as an objection to this idea. And let me just highlight some of those so as we can try to explain them and reconcile them with what we've already read. Lamentations 5, 7 talks about our father's sin and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. So there is that concept. And yet Jeremiah, in, in the, the same time uh, space, chapter 31 verse 29 30 says in those days they shall say no more the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set in edge that was um, terminology that that was uh, popular in the days to say that the children are suffering for the father's sins but that's not going to be said anymore jeremiah says but everyone shall die for his own iniquity every man who eats sour grapes his teeth shall be set on edge. That proverb will no longer apply, is what Jeremiah is saying, it would seem. And then Ezekiel 18 verse 2 says, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge? Now, how do we reconcile these two ideas? Well, obviously, if you're a Christian believer, you will acknowledge that the Bible does not contradict itself and obviously it's the word of God so God uh, is not confused um, I think we have to concede that the, all the people in all these texts that we've read were familiar with the concept of generational iniquity but what we're seeing particularly in Jeremiah and Ezekiel is that the people often had a tendency to blame their own ills in the present on past generations sin so they were saying that we are suffering because what someone else did. But the issue that Jeremiah and Ezekiel are pointing out is they were using this kind of proverb that had a, a measure of truth to it, but they were using it as an excuse for not taking ownership of, of how they still were committing the same sins that their ancestors were judged for. And in other words, they were accusing God of being unfair. We are innocent. We have done nothing wrong, but you're punishing us for things that our forefathers have done. And that was because they understood that biblical concept. But actually God's saying, hold on a minute, you can't use that proverb because you're guilty of the same sins. That's why you're, you're, you're under suffering just now. So the prophets were pointing out that generation iniquity cannot be used to exonerate us from personal guilt. And so that's not why we're teaching this. We're not saying that you can blame everything that you're going through right now or bondage that people you're ministering to are experiencing. Just exonerate themselves from personal responsibility and blame people in the past. And yet, we have to acknowledge that there is this spiritual concept of consequence. That what past generations have done can have a consequence for us today. Adam and Eve, I mean, this is the most obvious example of this. You and I are not personally responsible for Adam and Eve taking the fruit in the garden that was forbidden. And yet we have come into the effect of it. The consequences have been visited upon all humanity. There it is. Generational iniquity and curse. But see something else. This is borne out also in generational consequences of national sin. And we see this in particular in the New Testament, Romans 1 and verse 18, where Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And he goes on to explain that whenever a society does not utilize the original knowledge of God that all people on the earth had at the beginning equally, 
When they don't utilize that, there will be detrimental consequences that will not only be for the present in their moment, but the succeeding generations. And uh, Romans 1.28 says, And even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And we see there he speaks uh, of, of a generation of people, probably in the Roman Empire, where uh, God gave them over to their sin. He gave them up, gave them up, gave them over is the terminology. And we see this in Western nations that have received duo uh, Christian ethics and morals and spirituality and culture and yet now they are rejecting that moral foundation that they inherited and we're seeing the consequence of curse uh, upon the society. So there are generational consequences even of national sin. But the good news of the gospel and this is the important thing I want you to understand is that there is redemption in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ breaks the power of all unprofitable inheritance. Uh, if you're a child of God, you're already an heir of God, and on paper you're in Christ and you are blessed with every blessing in heavenly places in Jesus. But as we know as Christians, we need to work out our salvation and we need to apply by faith the, the, the effectiveness of the work of Jesus Christ into every area of our lives. Okay? Uh, today is Good Friday as I'm recording this and uh, we remember the finished work of Jesus that makes us overcomers over every bondage, every iniquity and every curse. But what we're really saying is the, the death of Christ, the redemption of Jesus needs to be applied into our lives. And uh, there can still be areas in our lives, even as Christians, where generational iniquity or curse um, are presenting themselves in some way. Proverbs 26 verse 2 says, Like a flitting sparrow, like a flying swallow, so a curse without a cause shall not alight. Now I want to warn you here and caution you, if there's nothing going on, don't look for it. If it's not there, don't say it is or invite anything. Um, but there are peculiar circumstances in people's lives and they can't find an answer why things are going on. And, and if there's curse or generational iniquity, there will be a cause. A, a curse without a cause shall not alight, just like a flitting spar and a flying swallow will land somewhere. We want to find out what the landing pad is for these type uh, of tendencies to be there in our lives or in our families. But the good news is that the power of the blood of Jesus redeems us from these things, from all the consequences of sin and inheritance. So we're not saying that, that Jesus' death in the gospel is not able for this. On the contrary, this is the answer to all sin, to all curse, to all iniquity. But it has to be applied. Sometimes things happen automatically when we come to Jesus, but other times stuff needs to be worked through. But the wonderful thing is there's power in the gospel and the blood of Jesus to set people free and families free from generational iniquity and curse. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 and 19 tell us, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now right there Peter's telling us that we are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to us by our ancestors. What is that empty way of life? Is it a false religion? 
is, is it occult behavior, witchcraft? Is it um, some kind of immorality or family dysfunction or moral breakdown? What is it? is it an addiction, um, some kind of habit? I'll leave it to you to, to answer that question. But the wonderful news is the blood of Jesus redeems us from that. It buys us back from the bondage of those tendencies. So as we conclude this session, let me ask you, is history repeating itself in your family? And that's where you want to look for it, people you might be praying with as well. Do you recognize certain patterns, dysfunctional tendencies, premature deaths at times, peculiar illnesses, sexual aberrations, uh, paranormal activities or abilities, addictions, or certain dependencies? The list of ways this can exhibit itself is potentially endless. What are you more susceptible to because of the choices of your ancestors? Can you observe history repeating itself in your life or your family's experience? Is there a spiritual power, both good and evil, that is passed on to you? We want to see the good spiritual blessings and anointings but there's also the evil that can travel down from one generation to another especially when witchcraft has been dabbled in so i'm really asking you at the end of this do you have a profitable inheritance that god intended for you to have through your family or do you have an unprofitable one there is a prayer in your notes that um it's just an example again of something that you can pray yourself if this is an issue for you or with others uh, who you're ministering to. A prayer to break generational iniquity and curse. Let's just read through it right now. You could pray like this. Father, I come to you as the Father after whom all the families in heaven and earth are named. You originally ordained the family to be a blessing on the succeeding generations. And I thank you for the blessings in my life derived from the righteousness of bygone generations. Though your, though your intention through the family was blessing, through some of my, the, the sins of my ancestors, iniquity and curse may have been visited upon me and my family. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I choose to forgive my forebears for their sins that have harmed me. I confess any way that I have engaged in those same sins. I renounce those sins. And please specify if you know what those sins are. And I asked you to cut me off from any iniquity and curse coming down to me uh, through either my mother's or my father's family line. I thank you, Father, that the Lord Jesus Christ took all my curse on the cross. And I ask you to set me free from every curse upon my life and family that I may inherit God's blessing. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of his blood, I command any demonic spirits carrying generational iniquity or curse to me and my family to leave me now. Amen. Let me pray with you and if this has affected you, why not message us and um, uh, tell us what the Lord has been doing, setting you free and transforming you. Um, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, giving us light and understanding through the scripture and I pray that this doctrine will not become a bondage for anyone but in fact be the answer to setting them free from cycles of sin and curse that have gone down perhaps generations and we just declare in Jesus name that the blood of Jesus sets us free from all of this that the new covenant 
is the covenant that sets us free from all bondage, iniquity, sin and curse. And we claim it now in Jesus' name that no curse will rest upon the blood-bought children of God, but that they will take by faith the blood of Jesus shed for them and they will see those chains broken, the sins of the fathers released off of them. And we pray this for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it. Amen. God bless you.